I'm turning to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous time shall come. Our message today will be topical, not our normal expository teaching. We will be speaking of the teaching of the last days given to us in the Word of God. What would be life like in the last days? I'm sure we all have heard sermons on eschatology before. This fancy word means the teaching of the last days. But what does the Bible say? There will be certain signs in our culture, but especially in the church that characterize the last days. I believe that what we are seeing in our days are in fulfillment of what the Bible predicted that will occur during the last days. Let me first give the biblical definition of the phrase, the last days. When we read the Bible and when the Bible speak of the last days, it is referring to a particular time in God's redemptive history. It may not be the last months, weeks, or years for that matter. God is the controller of history and events according to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 8 and 9 and also Acts 17, 26 and 27. God has set the boundaries of time. He knows the days. From the beginning of time, history revolved around God's redemptive plan. In the fullness of time, Jesus came. The last days is not necessarily speaking of the last months or the last years for that matter, but a specific time in the framework of God's redemptive plan. God has a redemptive plan. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all his elect come to repentance. That is his plan. The last days began at Pentecost when God began his final program in bringing the gospel to the known world. As a matter of fact, God had people there from 17 different nations to hear the gospel. His plan had began in earnest in the last days. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. And that's why there should be an urgency about missions in our day and evangelism. When you look at the church and the interest level of her people in evangelism, there's not any. And this is also a sign of the times that we are in. There is no other event to occur in history but the day of judgment. In Acts 2, verse 17, the Apostle Peter said, 
And it shall come to pass in the last days. Here's the phrase again. Saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And the all flesh here has to be taken into context. All flesh that has been redeemed. All the people that have become saved. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now this prophesying doesn't mean that you can foretell the future. It means that you tell forth what is in the word. That is how Christians prophesy. Our prophesying is limited to the word of God. Not any visions or dreams, but the word of God. And I hope you understand. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And the visions we see and the dreams we see are in accordance with the scriptures. We're not Pentecostal and charismatic and we do not interpret the Bible with a charismatic tone, but with a biblical um, tone, comparing scripture with scripture. The last days is the period in history when the gospel is preached to the known world. There are no other plans God has for this world. One more text to support the biblical definition of the Lord's day, which was read earlier in Isaiah 2, verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established to the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. This again is a reference to the kingdom of God, the church, where God is gathering in his elect and they are coming to, the, to Christ. And, we, and all over the Bible, we read of the last days. The last days is the period when the church is established and continue until the Lord returns. We are in the last days, the gospel era. The apostle Paul reminded the Corinthians that they were in the last days, saying in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, now all these things happen unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And already back then in Corinth, Paul said to the Corinthians that upon them, the ends of the world are come. The world has been going on now for 2,000 more years. There's no other plan forthcoming. There's no millennium. There's no thousand year reign. It is rubbish. These are the last days. Um, and I've, uh, 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 before the day of judgment. And what we are seeing is a tip of the iceberg as we look around us and as we look into our churches and we see a great falling away in our churches and great apostasy in our churches today. Here in Timothy 3, 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul looked beyond the early days of the church to show us events of the last of the last days in this passage of scripture. And we should be thankful for the word of God. We are in the first quarter of the 21st century. I never expected, when I was at work, working, I never expected 
that I would be around in 2023. You know, sometimes when they give you a retirement package and you look at it, it's um, it's fruition and what? Well, yeah, I never lived to see that. And here it is, 2023. And some of us can remember the turn of the century where people were worried. Y2K was a concern. Computers were supposed to crash. People store, stored up water, even myself. Generators, medicines. And I stood right here on this pulpit, not this one, the other one. I said, 2020 will come and I will be right here preaching. And so true, 2020 came. We're looking at the lights, New Year's Eve. And the lights didn't go on. You see, people would believe anything but what the Bible says. Yes, it came and nothing happened. Mankind has an awareness of the last day. He has an awareness of judgment. That's why he cremates his body. But we are looking the wrong places for information. There are certain characteristics that will dominate our culture, but especially the church in the last days. And, and a lot of you ain't looking carefully at the church. You're looking the wrong place. Well, this is bad, yeah, but the church too. The world around us can lure us into a deep sleep and unreadiness whereby the very things that should alert us of the season are ignored. Many today are not aware of our times. Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 38, 28, that when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. He's speaking about the redemption of our bodies, the fulfillment of his promise. These things have not only begun to happen, they are continuing to happen. Paul said in Acts 17, 26 and 27, on Mars Hill, that God have made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and have determined the times before appointed and the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they may feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. Yes, God has determined the boundaries, your years, that are increasing. God has determined that. God has, God has determined that you would be here today, that you would have been by me at that time to hear the gospel. You think it is your smarts. Paul went on to say that they should seek the Lord if happily, if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. Now, having given you the biblical definition of the last days, I now turn my attention to the visible prevailing activity 
in the last days. The visible, prevailing activity in the last days. The apostle says, this know also that in the last days, perilous time shall come. Trouble season, perilous times, grievous time, disturbing events. This is what we are seeing today unless we are not on planet earth. The spread of sexual perversion and sexual diseases, divorce and remarriage has become commonplace even in the church. There are signs of the last days, a redefining of gender. In the beginning, God made male and female. In the image of God made he them. But in the last days, men have twisted what God has made good, a free-for-all. Be what you want to be. These are perilous times, a troubled society. These things were around before. You remember what happened in Sodom. You remember what happened in Rome. But in the last days, these sins have increased immensely. We live in a troubled society. Some people have to practically hide in their houses at night from coming out. Verse 2 continues to describe the prevailing activity in the last days. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. I can't highlight every one of these, but I certainly can mention a few. The barometer Paul uses to test the moral temperature that will exist in the last days is not necessarily the world, but the church. And I just name some things to you. The characteristics highlighted in verses 1 and 2 was always a way of life for the world. As you was growing up and as I was growing up. But it was not the norm for the church or the Christian. The scripture says that men shall be lovers of their own selves. The Bible never commanded us to love ourselves. And if you can find it, you can show it to me. Because it is natural for people to love themselves. For no man never hated himself. It is natural for people to love themselves. But the Bible command, commands God's people to love their neighbor as they love themselves. Our culture has become a culture of self-lovers. The gym and the mall attract more Christians on the Lord's day than the church. And I use the word Christians in inverted commas. And some of you may be like that. Some of you may be AWOL because of a pleasure that you have to partake in. It's a sign of where you are spiritually 
People love their bodies. Bodily exercise profit little, but spiritual exercise profit more, much. You hear people saying, you have to look out for number one. Well, let me ask you, since when a Christian was number one? Since when? Where do you get that theology from? Paul is not necessarily speaking of the world, but, how, but what has now trickled in to the church where servants labor? God has not written the Bible to the world. The world isn't going to read no Bible. Whenever we read the epistles, we read to the church at Corinth, Paul an apostle, or Paul an apostle to the church at Rome, or Colossae, or Philippi. The scriptures is given to us, or Paul the apostle to the church of Flatbush, that I come to you with today, the word. They ain't going to read no Bible. Since when you, you stop a person out there and ask them how many books in the Bible. But you and I read the Bible. And sometimes we read to the church and the elders and deacons, Philippians. The Bible is written to the churches and congregations in the world where God warns of the last days. And the preacher should preach this topic regularly. Scripture says men will be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Now this is a clear signpost today in the church. God commanded children to obey their parents that they may, may live long on the earth. And this word earth means world. And I believe it has to do with the new world, with heaven. Obey your parents that you may live in eternity. This is what it naturally means, that you may be saved. Not that you may live long on earth, because some children are cut off early. It's a gospel promise, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Today, this command also in the church is twisted. Instead of children obeying their parents, many parents are obeying their children. And I have addressed this subject with some of you many times. Are you hearing a breakdown in the structure of the home? Fathers don't even open their Bibles to their children. And I can say what I'm saying, but this is what I practice. They don't bother. They switch on the television. Church is an extension of the home. That's what it is. The home was the first institution. Children no longer listen to parents when it comes to church life. They don't want to come. Children are taught in some curriculums to go against the will of their parents. And if they complain for their parents, their parents will be harassed. Today, young children can decide their personal gender preference. It is madness. Some are saying that the words mom and dad, I heard it, should not be around, should be obsolete. Forget mom and dad. Call him, call him, him and her. 
Today, when many children reach the magic age, church and Sunday school is no longer an option and parents entertain it. Paul tell you that children will be disobedient to their parents. And we should read these things and we should mourn. It is time to pray in this church. I'm leaving in a few weeks. Well, let me get these things on the, on the table so you will know where your pastor stands. Yeah, when children reach that age, they're unruly. And you know what I'm talking about. It's a sad, sad scenario. When I was growing up, we had to go to Sunday school. It was an Anglican church, and we used to want to go to Sunday school. As apostate as it was, we wanted to go. Once upon a time, children were eager to come to Sunday school, eager to go to youth rallies, VBS. These disciplines helped shape the lives of our children. It shaped the life of those who were around me, prepare us for the future. And for the ministry, who knows, children end up in the ministry because of Sunday school and VBS. They don't want to come. They, as a matter of fact, they're disrespectful in the church as I watch them. Some of, we, some of us need to sit up instead of slouching over in the chair. And you should tell your children, sit up, sit up. Afraid of our children. One of the gauges of the last days is our children. There's no way, there's the church is about to, is not perpetuating the next generation. And today it's even socially, some children don't even bother to speak to you. They would stare you adults in their face and never say good morning or hi, especially to a pastoral figure. Talking about our church too. These are signs, terrible signs of the last days. We are living in a troubled season. Men will be unthankful, unholy. The world was never called to be holy, but the Christians are the ones that are called to be holy. All this word means is to be set apart for the service of God. To be set apart for God is not reserved for the pastor, but for the Christian. Apostle says men will be unholy. He goes on to say in verse 3, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Now this is the Bible I'm reading, brethren. And you, you have a copy. I'm not conjuring up anything. Paul did not say that there will be no affection. He says without natural affection. There will be apparent affection, but it will be unnatural. The Lord said that the love of many would grow cold. Without natural affection. Romans 12 tell us, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor, referring one another. 
the church ought to be a place where brethren show kind affection to each other. But there's a lot of unkindness among our people. I alluded to the fact that my wife is on a mission field for two months and rarely do she get a phone call from some of the key people in, a, in this church that I'm ministering to. And we took note of that without natural affection. Don't care for one another. I know I would have gotten a chance to express these things. I hope they change. We should be a people of natural affection. This, of course, comes from God. He says men will be without natural affection. It means they will have a facade, a pretense. Jesus said, for the love of many will grow cold. The writer goes on to say, despisers of those that are good. No, there ain't nobody good, but those that are made good would be despised. Those that are made good by God would be despised. No absolutes anymore. Anyone who stands for truth will be despised, avoided, shunned. Those who are liberal and tolerant with compromise will be promoted, will be admired. We see this in a subtle way in churches today, despisers of those that are good. Also not only give the prevailing moral activity in the last days, but he moves to the spiritual in verses four through seven. Verse four and five says, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Traitors are found everywhere, but Paul specifically refers to those within the orbit of the congregation. Traitors, people betraying you. In the Lord's discourse of the end time, he said that men will betray one another, same word. Matthew 24, 10, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Any place that ought to be a manifestation of unity should be among God's people. But at times there is betrayal within the confinements of the church. It's an end time prediction. Apostle continues, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now this is a particular problem within the church. Many professing believers when compared on the scale of balance, the love for pleasures of the world often outweighs the love for God and the things of God. And we should take note of these things. I'm just repeating them. I'm just explaining them. I'm not accusing anyone. The apostle said, for many war of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that there are enemies of the cross 
whose end is destruction, whose glory is their belly, and who, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. There's nothing wrong with earthly things. We all need them. But when earthly things and pleasures begin to take precedence, that whereby we have to be engaged in them ever so often, something's wrong, seriously wrong. And sometimes I speak to growing people in this church about the frequency of pleasures. God owns us. We are the people of his pasture. And quite often we find another pasture to grazing. I wonder which pastor are you grazing in? Second Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. A form of godliness without the power is pretense, piousness. It is religion without relationship. It is appearance without transformation. A form is good. We should all have a form or appearance that we are Christians. But there will be a proliferation of church activity in the last days. But it will be only a form, wrote, with no power, no change of life of those practicing religion. We should have a form of godliness. We should look like who we say we are. But a form without substance is formality. There should be the power of salvation behind the form. There should be progressive sanctification. There should be vibrancy in the Christian. I'm vibrant. You know that. But today, many have a form. Stiff. Stiff. Don't just have a form. Six, verse six. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I am not sure what is meant in verse 6 about this sort that creep into houses and lead captive silly women. I, I am not sure uh, about this, how to properly exegete this, but I know it relates to deceivers who enter into churches in the last days to deceive many vulnerable souls. I know that this is where it's going. And the apostle groups learning with the spiritual decline in the last days, ever learning. And today men are impressed with theological learning. Every pastor today are writing a book. I don't know what they're writing. I should write one too about them. I'm serious. I should, I should write one about them and the church. Maybe I should compile my book. Everybody writing a book. 
And when you find out the deeper things of some of them, the things to worry about. And you may know exactly what I'm talking about. Because I converse with the deacons. I share intimate things with them. They know where I'm coming from on this pulpit. I tell them I don't hide anything from them. Even my personal life. I wish we would be like this. People are impressed with theological learning. Theological education has always been the seedbed for apostasy. No person can educate themselves unto salvation or sanctification. Neither does theological learning impress the Lord Jesus. Just read the Gospels and you'll see. The apostle cites in this context two men in Egypt who were able to duplicate Moses' signs. Their rods became serpents, but they were swallowed up by Aaron's rods. You see the supremacy of the gospel. Verse 8 and 9, Paul says, Now as Janice and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reparable concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifested unto all men, as theirs also was. And Moses performed that great miracle, all they can say is, this is the finger of God. Paul may have gotten these Egyptian names from secular history in his day. I believe he got them maybe from Josephus, who was able to name these names because they are nowhere found in the scriptures, Janis and Jambres. But just as there were apostates in Moses' day, there will be apostates in the last days. There is a great falling away. And today we keep warning the church about um, what is creeping up in New Calvinism. We keep warning the church about those who are calling themselves continuous, saying that God is still bringing revelation today. And we have warned the church to stay away from such. Um, but there's a great falling away where the world, and when I talk about the world, I also refer to the religions in the world, is capturing the interest of many who profess faith. Some congregations now have one church service a week. One. Seems as though the people the unfaithful people are winning. One. Don't even bother with midweek Bible study and prayer. We try to keep the doors open. And some of you don't come. Some of you wouldn't come because you are a part of the apostates. These are the last days. Beware. We should thank God for those who are pressing on in spite of the spiritual apostasy that is swirling around us. So I have given you, brethren, 
the biblical definition of the last days. I've given you that. I have showed you the visible prevailing activity of the last days. Finally, I will come to our last heading, the Apostles' exhortation to Christians in the last days. The Apostles, and by the way, I can say the biblical exhortation to Christians in the last days, 10 through 14. Actually, it's 10 through 16. Uh, I will conclude with this last head. The Apostles say in verse 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. Now, any man of God that stand in front of you, you should know him. You should know his doctrine. You should know his manner of life. You should know his purpose. You should know his faith, his long-suffering, his love, and his patience. Yeah, will tell me couple this will be a little more patient. She rebuked me. And all of us need to be a little more patient. But the man of God that you don't know is not a man of God. A man of God that is in a closet is not a man of God. Hiding. Don't know where he lives. Don't know what he believes. He's not a man of God. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you're younger than I, but you have fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, my long-suffering, my love, and my patience. These words are in sharp contrast with verse 5, where many only had a form of godliness. They are in contrast to that. Ephraim is a cake not turned. You ever had a cake that was burnt on the outside? And when you cut it, Mark, where you should know you bake cakes. And when you break it, it's not turned. A lot of Christians are like this, bake on the outside. When you break it, not turned, not changed, useless, wrong. Can't do anything. Paul says to Timothy, you have fully known my manner of life. Teaching without living is like an empty rifle in the jungles of Africa. Try that. You'll be eaten up. You hear what I say? Teaching the Bible without living the Bible is like an empty rifle in the jungles. And some are good at this very good at this. It makes it difficult to listen to someone who cannot make applications from the scriptures. The apostle lists four of the fruits of the spirit to couple with doctrine. You see that? He lists four of them and I leave them for you to figure out. Men today like good preaching but we have heard it all. There is an example to follow in the last days. Paul points to himself, but ultimately he's pointing to Christ. 
some positive things, some negative things. Verse 11 gives some negatives that is far for the course, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. The text goes on to say, yeah, emphatically, and all, not some, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I tell you, don't expect, don't expect a turnaround. Don't expect a turnaround. Apostle says in verse 14 to Timothy and to us. But continue. This is the exhortation. Continue. You in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. Of obviously, um, the Apostle Paul was not the only influence in Timothy's life. He had parents and, and a grandmother. But most importantly, the one that Timothy learned from was God himself, the Holy Spirit, who was the teacher of his people. And this is what Paul had in mind when he says, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, because assurance can only come from the scriptures. As, as much as, as useful as Paul the Apostle was, Paul couldn't save Timothy. There will be a prevailing falling away. And, and, and you, you've, you've seen it, you've witnessed it, you, you, you have spoken to many people, uh, whole families, uh, you, you can't, they would not budge. And these are the days we are living in. Prevailing, falling away. But the exhortation to the believer is, but continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. I have to say, a person can only continue if they have begun. Don't expect to continue if you never began. Don't expect to continue. And the only way one will continue is because of our Lord and our Savior. The Apostle Paul, and here we go to the scriptures again to see how we continue. Where Paul assures the Lord's children in Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing that he which have begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The key word in this text is he, he, Christ, the Holy Spirit, God, the triune God, who have begun a good work of salvation. If you have begun a good work in your life, if you can point back and say, I, I decided to follow Jesus, you don't have any assurance. If God 
has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He will keep you. He will keep you. But the problem is we are not utilizing the means to be kept. You're not going to, if you, if you don't put, if you don't put that meat in the refrigerator, in the freezer, when you go back for it, it would breed, breed worms. That's why people get sal what name? salmonella. You leave it up there on the table for three days. God has given us a freezer to preserve us. Word of God. People of God. Continue. These are practical lessons. Yes, there is a fall in the way. It will get worse. For so often you are shocked in your church. Wow. So so did that. Yes. Continue. Our Lord said to those who believe, see, he said, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As a matter of fact, the true child of God will continue because God will keep him. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. To the true wise God. He is able. You remind God. God, you promise that you'll keep me from falling. The child of God will continue. Not in his strength. But he looks back to the word of God and see God's promises. Lord will keep his people, brethren. It's not all doom and gloom. Christians are encouraged and exhorted in this troubling season. And this is why we are told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are. And who are the some are? Well, the apostates are forsaken to assemble. But exhorting one another as the day approaches. I think it's John Owen that feel the day approaching is the Lord's day, but I think Mr. John Owen is way off. The day approaching is judgment day. It's approaching because it's in the future. So brethren, this is our, this is my portion today. For the, for the last days. It's just not a figment of our imagination. Don't be, don't be surprised when you see things escalating, especially in the church. There's some things, uh, brethren, that I would get information from churches and I would not dare read it to you. I, I wouldn't dare, I would share it with the deepens. I wouldn't dare read it to you. So I've shown you the biblical definition of the last days. What does the Bible say? And I show you the visible prevailing activity in the last days. Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 shows us the apostles' exhortation to believers 
in the last days. I've shown you. Today we are living in those days that are delineated by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3. Progressively, the world has gotten morally worse from the time I was a young man till now. Today the church has lost its saltness. It is time for commitment. It is time for consecration. It is time for prayer for those who are the people of God. It is time for you to draw near to God. Wherever you are, wherever you're going, it is time to be close to God. Now I know as I conclude, in a congregation like ours, not too many will receive what I had to say, not too many. But one thing I am certain about is there will always be those like the five virgins who were wise and had oil in their laps. They all, all 10 look alike, but all 10 were not alike. Only five were ready. Only five was, was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The other five virgins were characterized as foolish. When the bridegroom came, they were rushing to get in and they were turned away. They were not prepared. The Holy Spirit will write these words on your heart today. You will walk away hearing these words. And he desires you and me to make relative applications from these words. So as you go away, remember the days you are living in. People are being snatched out. They don't know, brother, 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 one of our deacons, um, his wife doesn't know a lick when you go to sit with her. Other people I go on and, and sit with, they're repeating themselves over and over. Our dearly beloved Pastor Albert Martin, a man that served for so many years. Sometimes Frank say he go to see him. That's the way it is. But when we get like this, it is our prayer that the Lord will take us. Do you have that confidence that you can ask the Lord if you get to a stage like that to take you home? You should. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks once again, we have labored in this topic, sobering as it is. We pray that you will preserve your people today and that your people will give honor to their Savior until you call or until you come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.